He alone is worthy of praise. Amen. You will uh, grab your Bibles and remain standing for our scripture reading this morning as we continue our worship, this time through the reading of God's Word. And if you will turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, as Pastor Bruce concludes the series, Persevering Living in the Last Days, we're going to use as our text the last two verses of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 as the, as the text for Pastor Bruce's sermon this morning. If you need a pew Bible, there's one in front of you. You can grab it and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Please follow along as I read. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you that because of, because of your word, because of your son, we can persevere in the last days. And we just thank you for uh, the gospel. We thank you for your son. We thank you for uh, a church that, that, that preaches, uh, preaches you and preaches Christ crucified. And I ask that you would be with Pastor Bruce as he speaks this morning, Lord, and just help us to uh, just apply your message to our, to our hearts and that this would be a time of, of growth and, and challenge for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Those in the construction industry know that there are projects that encounter certain challenges along the way, even obstacles every day. And so some projects come to this crashing halt, and, and to be honest with you, some projects, they just never end. They keep going. Economic factors are the most common cause of unfinished construction projects. But buildings have also been stranded in limbo by wars and geopolitical shifts, epidemics of disease and other unpredictable obstacles, which leaves unfinished structures as these haunting reminders of what might have been. So, for example... Here are just five of some of the most forgotten and failed construction projects from around the world. Uh, I have some pictures of them coming up on the screen, the first of which is the New South China Mall. This mall in China was set to be the world's largest retail development. Yet despite the modernistic design, the incredible amusement park that was supposed to be built with it, the project was deserted due to a lack of retailer interest. However, back in 2015, the mall has undergone some extensive remodeling, and, and they say foot traffic has actually picked up through the mall and forced a few businesses that are in there. Uh, a second one is the Basilica Temple in Barcelona, Spain. This ancient Roman Catholic church is said to have been under construction since 1882. Construction went on until 1936 when the Spanish Civil War hit. And it remained an abandoned construction project for a few years before work resumed. The structure in all 18 of the church's towers are expected to be completed by 2026. And all of its decorative elements should finally be in place by 2032, a full 150 years after groundbreaking. And then right here in uh, America, there is the American Dream Meadowlands. Some of you may be familiar with this. It was deemed a retail and entertainment complex. 
Uh, this mall in New Jersey was supposed to feature a water park along with an indoor winter wonderland, which I think that is actually operating. Uh, however, due to numerous financial issues, the project was handed from one developing firm to another. The project was close to being demolished as at several points along the way. But in July of 2017, the project was picked up yet again by another developing firm. And then we have the Wonderland Amusement Park. In fact, there is a sign outside of this park that says, Enter at your own risk. It looms above the entrance of this abandoned amusement park. The project is located in a town some 20 miles outside of Beijing, China, Work on the park was halted in 1998 due to disagreements between the local government and the farmer who owned the property. I guess they couldn't come to some reconciliation about that. Uh, and then here in America, we have the Cincinnati subway. How many have actually heard news Cincinnati has? There's a Cincinnati subway. I didn't know it either. Uh, it was built during the Great Depression. The subway station in Cincinnati, Ohio, is considered not what you want to be known for, as one of the city's biggest embarrassments. The station went completely unused. Not one train actually passed through the subway. Today, tourists and locals can tour the underground premises, and they can get a glimpse of one of America's most notable abandoned construction projects. Now, aren't you thankful that as people who have been redeemed by God our lives don't have to resemble these failed, unfinished projects. God, well, that was pretty bad. Aren't you thankful for that? That's a little bit better. Listen, God Almighty is our sovereign developer who will finish the work he started in our lives. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he, that is God, who started a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. At the same time, we ourselves, we are not passive in this endeavor. That's why Paul goes on and he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation and do so with fear and trembling. And Peter here now in 2 Peter chapter 3 says essentially the same thing. We have seen over the course of this series for the last four Sundays that for 16 verses in this chapter, Peter has been exhorting us to persevere in the last days by essentially holding up this banner before us and holding up this truth, this reality of the promise of Christ's coming. And now as we come to the climax of Peter's message, one last time, he summarizes it for us, and he says the same thing. He repeats the overarching message of this chapter, and it is this. Persevere. Persevere in your faith, in the Lord, till Jesus comes. This is the climax. It comes from a man who knew what it was like to fail in his faith and fall hard. On the night of our Savior's death, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 26, you will all fall away because of me this night. And of course, Peter shot back in his arrogance, Lord, though they all fall away, I will never fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And Jesus looks at Peter and he calmly responds to him, oh, Peter, 
before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three different times. And what happened? You know the story. Peter fell hard. He fell once. He fell twice. He fell a third time. And yet, through it all, Peter still persevered in his faith. As painful as that experience was for Peter, let me tell you, it marked a turning point in his life. The Peter we see here in the book of Acts, the Peter we see here in these two letters that he writes, is so different from the Peter that we see in the Gospels. And so as we come to the climax of this letter, be encouraged this morning. It was written by a man who knew what it was like to fall in his faith, and yet he still persevered in his faith. In these closing verses, Peter issues one final exhortation. As we already said, it's the overarching theme of the whole chapter. That is persevere. Persevere in your faith in the Lord till Jesus comes. And Peter does so. Catch this again. Notice this. He is saying this. He's exhorting this again with a heart of love as he calls us what? Beloved. This is now the fourth time in this chapter alone that he calls us this. He's reminding us of our standing with God. We are the recipients of God's saving love and grace. We are his beloved. And he's also reminding us of our standing with Peter. Listen, we are Peter's beloved. And so what Peter writes, what he exhorts to us here, understand it flows from a heart of concern, a heart of love for his audience, his readers, even us today. And so in these final two verses, what Peter does is he exhorts us to live out what we're going to call these three G's of a persevering faith. So let's look at it. Let's unpack it here for the next few minutes. Number one, the first G is to guard yourself from spiritual error. Guard yourself from spiritual error. Now, Peter has spent a good chunk of chapter 3 warning us about the spiritual error of these scoffers, who he refers to as false teachers in chapter 2. And Peter says that these scoffers... They distort God's word. They twist God's word to their own destruction. And now Peter gives us this final warning here in verse 17 when he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. Other translations say, Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. And so these concepts, these terms, beware and to take care of, it, it literally means to be constantly guarding yourself. In other words, Peter is saying to us, listen, you need to stay on guard at all times in these last days. And that's why he's exhorting. That's why he, he's concluding in this manner. He understands that the last days are marked by the deception of false teachers, scoffers. And so this is not the time in our lives to let your guard down. Peter is saying, listen, this is the time to stay alert. And again, you can just hear Peter drawing on his own experience. It was because he did not do this. 
he had not listened to Jesus' warnings to watch and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane that he crashed and burned a few hours later at Jesus' trials. And so no wonder Peter here in his letters, he's writing to believers in Christ and he's urging them not to fall into the same trap. How? By staying on guard. In fact, notice the importance of this. It's in your notes coming up on the screen. The reason we want to stay alert and stay on guard is so you don't fall. So you don't fall and lose your own spiritual stability or your own steadfastness by being carried away with the air of lawless people. Now, just imagine for me, because that image of being carried away is a frightening one. It means to be swept along with the crowd. And probably the best analogy I can give you is what's going to take place tonight at Arrowhead Stadium. We have a big Chiefs game, right? Versus the Bills. And it's a big game, and there will be 78-plus thousand people there. And if you get to go to that game, as I know some in our audience here will be there. I'm kind of envious. I wish I could be there with you, Rebecca. So go, Chiefs. Uh, But I'm telling you, if you were there tonight, hopefully it's a win, you're celebrating, and you're walking out of the stands with the crowd, you're excited, and you're just going through the concourses, and you're walking along with everybody, and you're kind of pressed together in the concourses, making your way through, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm going the wrong way. And so now you turn around, the problem is a mass of people's coming at you. And you're like, there's no way I'm going to get through and go the other way. You are now just kind of swept along. You are being carried away with the crowd. That's the idea that Peter's giving us here. That's the concept of being swept away here. And the fact is, most people do not set out to err and to give themselves over to lawlessness and being swept away like this. However, you know what happens. We have the pressure from outside influences. We have the pressure from our culture. We have the spirit of this age. We even have the desire of ourselves to please self. And all these things can lead to being carried away by spiritual error. And Peter's answer to this danger is loud and clear. He says, stay on guard. Stay alert. And who do we see leading the way in this spiritual error, in this lawlessness? Well, once again, Peter identifies these false teachers. These scoffers who we've looked at here in chapter 3. In fact, now he calls them lawless people in verse 17. Lawless people, that word law, it just means they're wicked, they're evil. Peter's description of these false teachers back in chapter 2, it reveals just how lawless they are, just how wicked they are. In fact, they are callous to God's word. They are driven only by the desire to gratify their own sinful lust. They are people who ignore all moral constraints. They are a law unto themselves. And so again, no wonder Peter warns us as believers in Christ to stay on guard. Listen, he understands, he knows the danger of being carried away by being swept away by the air of such people is that you will fall and lose your own stability. In other words, you're going to crash and burn. 
Mark it down. If these lawless people are heading for destruction, they are not going alone. They will take with them people that they have managed to entice and influence. At the same time, we know that genuine believers are secure in Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter has already reassured us that if we are true believers in Christ, then he says back in chapter 1, verse 12, that we are established in the present truth of the gospel. He says in the same chapter in verse 10 that we will never stumble. But if we don't stay on guard, then we run the risk of falling from our own steadfastness in the faith. You say, what does that even mean? What's Peter talking about here? Well, this word fall that he uses, it's a word that refers to apostasy. Apostasy is a biblical idea It's a biblical term which is falling away from the faith instead of persevering in the faith. One commits apostasy when one abandons God. They depart from their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter is warning us that there are some people out there who make what looks like a very credible outward profession of faith in Christ And then later in their life, they embrace spiritual error. And they do so in their beliefs and in their behavior, and they find themselves in spiritual freefall. And if that goes left unchecked by repentance of sin and true faith in Christ, such spiritual freefall will end in apostasy from which there is no escape. And so I hope you are hearing, you are sensing, even imagining the seriousness of this. Which is why Peter says this out of love and concern to Christ followers. He says, listen, this is super important. Guard yourself from spiritual error. Especially here in these last days. When these days are marked by deception of false teachers and scoffers who mock the return of Jesus Christ. Guard yourself from this. Persevere so you don't have such a disastrous fate in your life. And then Peter gives us the positive antidote to this. You see that? The negative is guard yourself from this. The positive comes in number two. It's the second G. We first guard, but then we have to do something proactively as well. We need to grow in Jesus Christ continually. Peter says in verse 18, look in your Bibles. See what he says here now. The very first word in verse 18 is what? It's but. So now we have a contrast from verse 17. Peter's telling us in verse 17, listen, you need to guard yourself from, from these lawless people. In the Guard yourself, but here's what you do on the positive side as well, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is nothing new for Peter. From the outset of his letters here, he has urged us to grow in our faith. You say, why? Why is that? Why is he placing such an emphasis on that? Because although we are saved by faith in Christ alone, listen, we must grow if we want to persevere in our faith. 
In fact, this verb grow that Peter uses here, it means to keep on growing. It is continual, which means we should always be growing in life, in our spiritual lives, no matter how long that you've been a Christian. As one author said, living a Christian life is something like riding a bicycle. If you don't keep moving, you will quickly lose your balance and fall. So keep growing, Peter says. Peter realizes that if we stand still, spiritually speaking, we will have a far greater tendency to fall in our faith than if we are moving forward and growing in our faith. And so Peter is telling us that safety, spiritual safety, is found in what? Yes, first guarding ourselves, but also growing in Jesus Christ. And so no matter how long you've been a Christian here this morning, you cannot rest on last year. You cannot rest on even last week's growth. Every day of our lives in the last days represents a fresh challenge. Every day presents another temptation to to counter the culture that we live in. And what we're being bombarded to hear and to embrace every day presents another temptation even to forget everything we've learned and trade it in for a lie and embrace a counterfeit gospel. And Peter says, here's the solution. I'm raising it up before you. I'm holding it up before you. And that is to always be growing And then he tells us specifically two things that we should always be growing in. Did you see it there in verse 18? He says, grow in what? The grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about this is that 2 Peter begins and ends on the same note of grace and knowledge. If you go back to the first chapter of 2 Peter, Peter actually prays in his introduction, in his salutation to the readers there. He prays in verse chapter 1, verse 2. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's in the first part. And now he comes to the end of 2 Peter, the letter here. And he says in verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, although the wording is somewhat different, the point is the same. Peter's great desire for you is that you might experience lots and lots and lots of God's grace and soak it up through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen, grace is the key to a relationship with God. Because he saves us by grace. We know that because of what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. But God not only saves us by grace. Listen, God also sustains us by grace. We know that by 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. And his saving and sustaining us by grace gives us everything we need now to persevere in our faith. Do you realize that after the word Jesus, there is no sweeter word in all the Bible than grace? That's why it's called amazing. Amazing grace. 
in Jesus Christ from God the Father. As one pastor and author said, and I quote, grace is the greatest unused resource in all the world. It is the wealth of God's kindness, the riches of his mercy, the soothing ointment of his forgiveness, the free and undeserved but lavishly offered hope of eternal life. Grace is what we crave when we are guilt-ridden. Grace is what we must have when we come to die. Grace is our only ray of hope when the future darkens over with storm clouds of fear. And do you realize God's grace is entirely God's gift to us? And yet, Peter here is encouraging us to do what in it? To grow in God's grace and to be strengthened by it. And we are to grow in it till the day we die. So the obvious question is, well, how do we do this? How do we grow in this grace? In other words, how can God's grace be multiplied in our lives, as Peter says? That was his prayer in the salutation in the first part of this letter. May God's grace be multiplied to you and his peace. So how is that possible? How does this happen? Well, if you go back to his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Peter says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the who? Humble. Whoa. God resists the proud. And when I, when I read this verse every time, I think of a football player, a stiff arm. God's stiff arming the proud. But those who are humble, instead of stiff arming, he brings them in. And he lavishes his grace on them. And so Peter is telling us here that this humbleness, this humility that's required, comes through our growing knowledge of Jesus Christ. As Charles Spurgeon once wrote, when you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you will be sure to grow in humility. And so Peter is telling us that if you want to experience God's grace in greater abundance, then our knowledge of Christ has to grow as well. As one Bible scholar explains, knowledge of Christ and knowledge about Christ are, if they keep pace with one another, they both are both the safeguard against heresy and apostasy and also the means of growth in grace. So remember, this knowledge of Jesus Christ is both an intellectual knowledge. Yes, we need to learn more about who he is, what he has done for us, but it's also relational which means that our growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it should make an impact on our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, it's not just that we need to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is in what he has done for us, but this knowledge must lead us more and more and more into a deeper, more vital relationship, more meaningful relationship with our Savior, our Redeemer. Listen, having been brought into union with Christ. How? Through saving faith, we now must grow in our communion with Jesus Christ in a living relationship. Think of it this way. Just as the 
union, the coming together of a man and a woman on their wedding day must be nurtured during their whole life together. The same is true in our spiritual marriage to Christ. A relationship exists, but as with all relationships, it needs to grow, it needs to deepen. And the beauty of our relationship with Christ is that there is always more to learn about him Always room for further growth in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is why one of our primary purposes here as a church of life is to grow in Christ. And as we say here, it's never ending. It's not that you start with no Christ and you're done with that, and you go to grow in Christ, oh, chalk that up, I'm done with it. Never to look back. No. We're always knowing more about Christ. Always growing in Christ. We're always showing and going. And we repeat this. And we're growing in it at all times. That's what Peter's getting at. That is the safeguard for our lives of persevering in these last days. He said, well, what is the result of all of this, of guarding yourself from spiritual error? What is the result of growing in Jesus Christ? That brings us to the third G. Glorify Jesus Christ now and forever. Peter ends his letter with a doxology. And you're like, a what? I didn't know I was at a doctor's appointment. That's not what we're talking about here. A doxology is nothing more than a song of praise. It is beautiful. It is glorious. This doxology that Peter ends with here in verse 18. When he writes, listen, look at it, notice it. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And then some manuscripts add the word amen, which basically means let it be. It's true. I agree with it all. Now, here's what's interesting about all this. The scoffers of Peter's day, let me tell you, they detracted from the glory of God and from Christ's glory by living a very ungodly life as well as by denying his coming again. And so Peter, he is determined to set the record straight. He is determined to end his letter with this explosion of praise and glory to Jesus Christ. Now, what just is mind-boggling here, this is one of the highest designations of praise given to Jesus Christ anywhere in all of God's Word. You say, what? What what are you saying? Where, Where do you get this? Well, here's why I say that. Because such high praise like this was normally reserved exclusively for God. And so for Peter to ascribe glory like this to Jesus Christ, you know what he's doing? He is, in essence, he is declaring that Jesus is God. Peter has been declaring this truth throughout his whole letters, though. So this is nothing new for Peter. In fact, he has said throughout his letters that both God and Jesus have been described as Savior in bringing salvation. Both are divine, and the day of the Lord involves both the coming of the Father and the Son. And the overarching purpose now of every Christ follower throughout all history, in all ages, in all peoples, is to glorify Jesus Christ with our lives. So if you ever wonder, what what was I born for? If you're ever wondering, man, why do I get up and go to school? What's my my purpose today? Well, yes, it's to do math, learn science, but it's to glorify Christ. 
when you get up tomorrow morning, you go to work. Why am I going to this job that I, yeah, I like, but I don't like? There's some people there I like and don't like. Yes, it's to get a paycheck. So it can be deposited into your bank account automatically every two weeks or whatever the case may be. And you can pay your bills. But listen, it is so much more than that. When you get up and go to work tomorrow, your primary purpose is to glorify God through your life at work to those around you. It's, it's, every, it's all of us. That is our overarching purpose. This means our goal of growing in Christ is not so that we can feel better and make a little, our little kingdoms here better in this earth. And we can accumulate more, do this, do that. Not that those things are always bad or sinful in and of themselves, but it's just that's not the primary means. The goal in growing in Christ is not so that we can feel better, feel more fulfilled, or even more significant. Rather, our lives should glorify Christ so that through our lives, others may see just how great Jesus truly is. It's, it's like what John the Baptist cried out. I, I just love this about him. And you might remember this in John chapter 3, verse 3. John, John says what? He, he's looking at Jesus. He's focused on Jesus Christ. And he said, he, he's the dude. He's the one. He's the Messiah. He must increase. I must decrease. Why? Why would John say that? Why should that be our attitude? Because Christ alone is worthy of all praise and all glory. And again, you can almost hear something of Peter's past behind this great statement. Remember, here was this disciple who, when he was with Jesus, oh, he appeared so arrogantly to be fully committed to Jesus. But in reality, Peter was only committed to himself. But now, years later, as a seasoned man with years of Christian experience and growth behind him, he pins these words of glory to Jesus, having learned that Christ alone is worthy of all glory. Think about it. Jesus Christ alone has the power to save people. He alone has is the one who came to rescue us from this fallen world. And he alone has the authority and the ability to do all of this because he is God. And notice this, when should Jesus be glorified? Peter leaves no doubt about this either. He does not leave us guessing as to the when. Peter says both when, now, and to the day of eternity. In other words, the glory belongs to Jesus both now in this present age and forever in the age of eternity. So live your life. Live it to glorify Jesus Christ now in these last days in all that you do, in all that you say. Whether you are a mom, a dad, a husband, a Wife, whatever the case, a student, wherever you go to work, play, and recreate, it doesn't matter. And when we are with him in eternity, you know what's going to happen? We are going to gather around the throne, and we are going to sing according to Revelation 5.12, worthy is that one. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
I end with the story. It's a story I've actually shared before. Perhaps you've read it before on your own. But it goes all the way back to 1968 to the Olympics in Mexico City and the marathon race. And the last of the marathon runners were being carried off the field to first aid stations about an hour after the winner had already crossed the finish line. And so as you might imagine, there were only a few spectators remaining in the stands when suddenly they heard the sounds of sirens and police whistles. And so all the eyes turned to the gate to see this individual named John Stephen Aquari wearing the colors of Tanzania, limping into the stadium. His leg was bloodied. It was bandaged from a very bad fall that he had had in the race. But he still managed to hobble around the track past the finish line as the crowd rose to their feet and applauded as if he was the winner. Someone later, after all this, asked him why he did not quit. In view of his injury and the fact that he absolutely had no chance of winning anything, let alone a medal. And he replied, and it's a very famous response, a reply, perhaps you've heard it. He said this, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. Listen, in the same way, Jesus Christ did not give his life for you just so that you could start the faith. Jesus gave his life for you so that you could, yes, start, but also finish the race and finish the faith. And the key Peter is telling us here of finishing your faith is persevering in the faith till Jesus comes. Listen, this is what Jesus did for you so that you could be redeemed from your sins and be reconciled to a holy God. And now, now, what do we do in this? We, we hear with linked arms as a body of believers, encouraging, supporting, praying, and when needed, even confronting, coming alongside and say, what's going on? We come along and we persevere. We persevere in the Lord, in our faith, till Jesus comes. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? To Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, he persevered for you, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, so that you now may persevere in these last days. We owe everything to Jesus Christ. So let us now conclude by remembering what he has endured for us on the cross. 
by participating in communion. Listen, without Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sins, we would still be helpless and hopeless sinners. We would still be dead in the trespasses of our sins. We would still be facing the judgment of God. But because Jesus endured the cross, we have been freed from our sins. We've been redeemed from our sins. We have now been set apart as saints in Jesus Christ so we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We owe everything to Jesus. So let's participate this morning in the Lord's Supper and do so with hearts full of praise, hearts full of gratitude, and lives committed to the glory of Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this challenging word. We thank you for what we've learned in this series about persevering in these last days. And Lord, help us to wait with hope and to live in holiness till Jesus comes. And Father, we thank you for the perseverance of your son as he endured the cross so that we might be redeemed from our sins and reconciled to you. And now as we come to your table, as we participate in communion, may we remember that we owe everything to your son, Jesus. So may we eat the bread and drink the juice with our eyes on Jesus and with hearts full of gratitude and praise. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Here at LifeBridge, followers of Jesus Christ, that is those who trust Christ for their salvation, those who identify with Christ in baptism and then commit to Christ's body and membership of a local church of like faith, are invited to participate in communion. And uh, we believe here at LifeBridge that the bread and the juice represent the body of Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. When we participate, it reminds us of who our Lord is. It reminds us of what he has done for us. It reminds us of what he is still doing for us and what he will yet do for us when he returns. And that's one reason why we pray, and I hope it's one of your prayers. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Don't you look forward to that day? And so when we participate, we are proclaiming all that in our hearts and to one another. As we take the bread and the juice, and we take it back to our seats, we open up our packets, and we take that wafer, and we eat it, and then we drink that juice. It is a solemn, joyful, yet reminder of all of these things. And so come with hearts of praise, come with hearts of thanksgiving of what Jesus Christ has done for you because he has made a way for you and for me to persevere in these last days till he comes again. And so when you're ready at your convenience, you're welcome to come. And so as we're somewhat organized about this, uh, please only come up this aisle pass this way, grab your packet, and then make your way back down that aisle. So basically, all you on this side, you guys are going to go down that way. Everyone here, you're coming up this way and walking by. And if you're not comfortable, if you're not a b believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to, to watch. Watch what we participate in. These are visible reminders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that by the Holy Spirit, your heart is pricked to partake of what God has given to us through Jesus' blood and body.
sacrifice for you. So as the music plays, you're welcome to come whenever you're ready.